Thanks for dialing in to Solving for B, the podcast where experts exchange ideas and analysis across the branding spectrum. In this week's edition, we'll examine key trends defining the state of business-to-business branding. Whether you're heading to the office or about to set your treadmill pace, settle in as we navigate the B2B landscape. Hi, and thanks for joining us today for the Solving for B podcast. In today's episode, we're talking about the rise of B2B branding. And to help me address the topic, I'm joined by brand strategist Elizabeth Tyndall. Hi. President and Chairman Jonathan Fisher. Hello. And CEO Bo Bodie. Hey, Chris. Thanks for lending us a bit of your time today, guys. Uh, so today we're going to discuss branding in the B2B arena and how it's gained momentum in recent years. Uh, in fact, a survey that was published last year by Spencer Brenneman found that over 80% of B2B companies expect to invest more in their brand strategies over the next five years, with an anticipated overall increase of about 20%. So let's start with this. Um, to what do we attribute this increased level of focus on B2B branding? I just think the world's gotten smaller. <laughs> you know, commoditization has also driven up the need to differentiate, and differentiation usually wins in this marketplace for B2B when it's relevant, not just for the sake of being unique, but for the sake of demonstrating the added value that the company can bring to market. So I think, you know, the internet and the ability to review companies, um, the lack of control somebody has on their brand these days, I think is forcing these companies to continually reinvest to keep their brand relevant and in front and on top of what's being pushed at the buyer these days. But I think speed's a big part of that now, too. I mean, when you take the Internet, the ability to research different companies you could work with, um, the ability to find opportunities, you know, in in different companies that could serve you, you know, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, you know, it was harder to find the 10 valve manufacturers that you could use. You could probably maybe find two of them. And so... Your switching is going to be less frequent. Your expectations of price and service are going to be different because you've only experienced two. You know, now today, I mean, at your fingertips or anybody that can provide ten of anything you wanted tomorrow. You know, that's really changed uh, in the B two B realm. It's really changed people's perception of importance of brand. Right, and it used to be more sales support. Probably was a key driver in B two B, and having that one-on-one relationship, having a lot of sales tools at your finger and hips, but now it's truly the, the overall brand experience and how that, how they go to market and how that, um, you know, is expressed throughout the organization. I mean, if you look at how millennials shop these days, um, you know, it, they want to do it at their timetable, you know, right. on their devices and that old school mentality of relationship that you just mentioned is is sometimes not even part of their factor. Yeah. So, um, you know, to be clear, you know, branding obviously is not new. This is something B2C companies seem to have figured out long before maybe the B2B guys, or, or maybe not even figured out, but it it's it's now becoming in B2B. You guys talked about commoditization, technology, the, the ease of spread of information. Um, it's now becoming more than a nice to have. It's becoming kind of a necessary component right. to your strategy. Well, I think the main, I think the big thing you have to consider is switching costs. You know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if you worked with a printer or you worked with a distributor or you worked with a, 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 a car shop, 
you know, or a healthcare provider. It, the switching costs were great for consumers and business-to-business customers alike, right? I mean, it was really hard to go find somebody else that you trusted um, to do the work. And you also didn't have as broad a vision on pricing, on, you know, on quality, because you'd only experienced, you know, a few things. And I think, you know, the switching costs were so great, especially in the B2B world, because I know that this valve is going to work if I buy it, or I know that this syringe is going to work if I buy it. And I don't really know that this one other person that's providing it can do it to the, but now I've got a greater, I've got, I've got more access to more things faster. And then price is changing quicklier, uh, quicklier. Wow. That's a really good prices, <laughs> prices changing, prices change faster. Um, delivery speeds up. I mean, all these things, the speed of all of this stuff are making B2B branding even more important. It was always important, um, but it was built through trust. It was built through a long cycle of longer buying cycles. It was built through years and years of working together. And I don't think that B2B companies have that luxury anymore. Well, let's talk about the data science behind all that, too. Now, you just mentioned that all this information is out there. The the reviews, their, their time, their deliveries, their quality control metrics are all out there through reviewer sites, but also just the industry's data at its fingertips is out there now. And that allows their salespeople to be more focused. And so if you don't take advantage of that data, somebody else is going to take advantage of that data and beat you to the market, you know. So I think the the range of data, the type of data, the accessibility of that data is another factor that's causing people to, back to your original question, invest more energy into it because either you participate or you don't, the conversation is going to happen without you. Yeah, and I was looking at a couple stats um, in preparation for the episode, and uh, it was one of them that I found um, interesting was that B2B customers are uh, twice as likely to consider a brand that shares, shows personal value over business value because they perceive, perceive little difference in the business value between suppliers. So, you know, ultimately, we're talking about B2B, B2C. Ultimately, you're still selling to people, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's, it's about kind of forging, um, or I say forging, having those relationships, but also, um, you know, hitting home or driving home what the, the needs and the worries, like what keeps you up at night, talking to those decision makers in those companies. Right. I mean, it's still, it, it's the same thing that B2C's done, and B2B does to some extent, is the connecting the rational to the emotional, in terms of the way you deliver. And so it's uncovering for that company, who are they at their essence and what is the experience they want to create that will then, you know, inspire belief within their um, customer base and connect more on an emotional level um, that starts to differentiate you versus just, I mean, like to your point and commoditization, a valve is a valve, and there definitely is maybe some differences in terms of engineering, but, you know, the top three probably are all pretty similar. So right. it's what is the experience? How do I feel when I work with you? I mean, um, you talk about, like, WIFMA, what's in it for me, right? Right. What's in it for me, but also what's in it for my company? You know, you got to remember that most B2B buyers are buying not only for themselves or their business unit or their division, which is a reflection on their choices that they make, but it also... In, they're buying for their company, the impact, the bottom line, or the acceleration, or, or the quality control, or whatever it is that they're making. The same valve, or the same drilling rig, or the same legal expertise, at approximately the same price, 
with little things that are better or worse, a feature, let's call it a feature, right? Even if it's a lawyer or even if it's a doctor, if it's, even if it's a whatever, you know, I can buy it slightly better. I can get it at the same time I want it. I can, how am I going to make a decision over who to use? And the problem is, I think we all as buyers, there's a little bit of loyalty that mm-hmm. we all have and a little bit of ease. And so if you're buying from the same person regularly, it's easier, but that's the only difference. Yeah. So how do you differentiate in that environment, in that world? How do you differentiate? And we saw it happen with law firms, um, you know, in the 90s and 2000s as they marketed and started worrying about brands. You know, law firms got business. There's business, it, it talk about true business to business. You know, Johnny Lawyer referred Jimmy Lawyer or Johnny Client referred Jimmy Cl- Lawyer. And that was how that business was done. Well, now I have access to, now open up the internet, I've got access to every attorney. I've got access to their LinkedIn profiles. I've got access to the deals they did. I can even go see what kind of cases just like mine are tried in the public. I can look at whatever. I don't have to have a referral. Now, the referral does give credibility, but what's happened now is all my buddies, if I put out a LinkedIn post to say, I need an attorney, they're all going to come back with somebody that's competent. And they're going to come back with 50 of them. Mm-hmm. How do I make a decision? You know, what allows me to make that final decision? And I can't meet with all 50. You know, so what is it that drives me to want to work with that one person? Brand awareness, brand differentiation, brand positioning. Maybe I've Those heard. things have factors in that, in right. that process. So Maybe I've heard their name five or six more times. Right. And I, I equate that to greater value. Or yeah. I look at them and the way they express themselves just connects right. yeah, better so than one over another. But They're all are more emotional. All of those are more emotional than in the past. Johnny did this deal with me. You have to work with Johnny. Okay, I don't have the time to go find somebody. And he comes highly recommended, and I know he's done a deal like what I've done. Yeah. Well, and Elizabeth, you talked about you know that emotional connection. Speaking of preparation for the episode and everything like that, um, I found... I found a tidbit that I found to be um, kind of interesting, and I didn't really expect it, but um, one of the things I found was that B2B customers tend to be more emotionally connected to a brand than B2C customers, which was, for me, surprising because I would think, you know, there there are consumer brands that I'm a part of, and and, and, um, there's a lot of case studies I I read in college about, um, you know, uh, B2C brands and and how they, yeah, how they they try to, to... um, I guess promote a certain lifestyle rather than just a product, right. Right? right? Yeah, I don't, I don't think about that when I'm. Well, think about the deal size, right? Would be to be as often larger. You're talking about as a consumer buying a Coke or you know whatever a piece of clothing, right? But that fifty cent investment is <laughs> not going to break you. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. But as a B two B, you know, buyer, you're often dealing, you know, with tens, hundreds, millions of dollars. So it. It breaks you, and it can kill your career. It can get you right. fired. It can, you know, the risk it can is get higher. You, it can get you into lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a there's a lot higher, a lot more at stake with B two B, and so the brand emotionally has a, a much greater impact into a B two B buyer. I think. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and I think Elizabeth, you mentioned it. Like there's yeah, and, and Jonathan, you were touching on it as well. Is that um, you know. There's a lot more at stake there. I mean, frankly, there's livelihood at stake in some instances because you could lose your job if you make right. the wrong call, or God forbid, someone you know get injured on the job because of a a faulty P 
piece that or a faulty yeah. part that you you yeah. put together. So. I mean, we work with clients all the time or customers, whether they're the number one or the number two or maybe the number ten. And oftentimes, when we're looking at competitive or the things that they're faced with from a sales perspective, you know, well, no one ever got fired for hiring number one, and right. you're number two trying to come at it. So how do you sell against that, right? Yeah, how do you penetrate that? But that that idea exists. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's good. Um, so we talk. We've been talking a little bit about you know B two B and B two C and kind of how those. Um, how those differ a little bit. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, the are there big differences in branding in B2B branding versus B2C? Are there uh, certain trends that affect B2B or B2C that don't affect the other? I mean, um, we one of them we talked about, the stakes are, are higher, right? That's, right? that's one of the bigger ones. But um, is there anything else? It, fundamentally, no, other than just scale. Yeah, I think scale and cycles, you know, I mean, industry can affect you know, a B2B company more than it can a B2C. You know, when oil's down, you know, Houston slows down, but everybody's still buying sodas. Everybody's still buying shirts. They might buy less of them in a, in a certain area, but there's nothing that, that a B2C company can do about that. But in B2B, you still got to maintain the market share. It might be smaller. Um, and I think that industry cycles have a little bit more of an impact on, you know, it's not like... <laughs> all of a sudden clothing is out of style. I mean, people are going to buy clothes. They're just trends that people are going to follow. In some cases, some industries fall out of style. Right. <laughs> I, I think some B2B firms have a product or a service that fits a lot of industries and a lot of other applications. And so um, their positioning and marketing can be substantially broader, you know, um, whereas, you know, uh, uh, a, sh- a fly fishing shirt is for fly fishing, and you might wear it just for sun protection. You don't often see the range of product or service in B2C that you do sometimes in, in B2B. And, and I think, for me, some of the other differences may be that uh, with our clients, we're often trying to demonstrate what goes on behind the curtain, uh, demonstrate a sense of process for quality control or transparency mm-hmm. for... Um, differentiation sake or financial impact modeling or value chain modeling. Um, and you don't tend to see that type of activity too often in on a consumer side. Now, somebody may show you how they make their beer or where they source their cotton for their shirt or something like that, and they may even attach it to a cause. But um, some of our you know manufacturers or technology companies or uh, professional service companies will add that level of, you know, messaging or content or visualization to their sales process or marketing process. I mean, to Jonathan's point about the world being smaller, you just stand out more. Yeah. I mean, or, or you disappear more. And B2B with sales cycles, and I mean, it becomes even more, you know, again, B2C, you know, white shirts are out, white shirts are in, right? Those trends move a lot differently. You know, if you're an invisible B2B company in a world where everybody's competing on a long sales cycle, you're dead. Right. You know, you can't keep up. You know, or long contracts, right? Uh, yeah, well, exactly. I mean, sometimes Absolutely. contracts are three to seven years. In fact, I just had this client yesterday. One of the strategies we were talking to them about was the difference between their selling cycles right now or one year with an auto renewal that is then goes monthly. Well, why? So the conversation is well, why not lock out the competitors for three, five, or seven years and go to a term sale policy? 
And that's a strategy that you're not going to generally see on a consumer side. So, um, you know, on a B2C model. So, yeah, but you, the crazy thing is you're starting to see it in the consumer side. You're starting to see, hey, buy them, pay $7 a month for the Cinemark Movie Club, and you get a free movie and a whatever. They're starting yeah. to, they're, the B2C is going big on these loyalty programs. But that's the same kind of thing as locking someone up in a contract. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a difference between a loyalty program and and a term term agreement where, you know, you're in the the lease for seven years, you know? (laughs) Not that you can't break it or sublease it, but it's different than than reward systems for frequency of of purchase. Right, but when you you look at how fickle a consumer purchaser is, right? I'm going to jump from Cinemark to Lowe's to whatever, just movie to movie, but then I have this card. It's the same. Now, it's it's different. There are different strategies, but that's the only strategy that will work in the consumer world, right? I mean, you can't, there's not often that I'm going to, although I've seen them, you know, agreements to buy shirts from certain providers or three shirts a month or whatever it is. Yeah, and there's loyalty strategies for B2B. It, and there's like balloon contract agreements, volume discounts, you know, things like that. But you're starting to see, I think what's happening is you're starting to see those more prevalent in both worlds in different ways, and people are trying to be creative. It's not just disruption and advertising. Oh, I got your attention. Come, you know, I screamed louder, so you're coming to my store. It's becoming more about loyalty in different ways. I think you think about, like, Mm -hmm. take the shave club, right? We're going to ship you your razor every month, or we're going to, you know, the the drop boxes or the the food boxes that get dropped every month so you can cook cook your menus and recipes. The B2C world's moving to that, um, you know, reoccurring revenue model right. through frequency of purchase. Right. And they drive it around loyalty and, and yeah. other types of programs. And what we're saying, though, is, to bring it back to brand, is that all of that is is part of your brand strategy, right? Those are right. all things that you need to think of as, yeah. as part of your brand. And B2B is doing more of that type of, you know, it's not a buying club or a, you know affinity program or whatever, but that those things are, our clients have asked us about those things. You know, our clients have talked to us about those things in the B2B world. Yeah. You know? And so all these things are starting to collapse on themselves. Um, thus, you know, branding for B2B is probably as or more important than B2C because you can still at least stand out a little bit in that industry or that world. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you mentioned our clients, have, you're having these conversations with clients. Um, that, that reminded me or sparked something that it, when we're talking about, like, websites, and I mean, it's not the brand as a whole, but it's, a, it's an expression of the brand. We're talking about websites. Very often clients of ours, and we frankly, we encourage them to say, hey, maybe this isn't uh, the, the, you know, a, a, a one-to-one comparison, but what are websites that you, as a person, as a consumer visit that right. you like, that experience? So it's not, you know... I guess the point is that you guys have been making is that it's not all that different. It's it's the same principles. Right. It's, well, it's still a person consuming. Right. Right. Well, the goods or services. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Elizabeth's got it right. And yeah. That's, but the world's changing. I mean, you know, we're we are our expectations. You know, it, it's no longer I come home from work and kick my feet up and don't think about work anymore. I mean, the lines are so blurred between work and life and all that stuff, it would make sense that if you get used to buying something on Amazon, that when you buy your $50 million drill bit, you kind of expect the same, it's a more expensive purchase, so why isn't the, why isn't the process just as easy or a click? 
you know, why do I have to talk to this person? I mean, th- that mentally, I think people's brains, psychologically people's brains, all these barriers are broken down, and it's all kind of falling on top of itself. Yeah, you said it, like, and, and I think Jonathan, or we talked about it earlier with technology being the, the great equalizer, right? Like, it should be, and it, I, I guess everything kind of plays into it. You know, you look at millennials and the way that they shop now. Everything, we want it to be easy. We want it to be simple. We want it to be, right, we want it to, everything to be streamlined. And it seems like at, at some point, or in the past at least, there was this, I'm call it red tape, but there were these processes. And as technology evolves, you think, well, that seems a little arbitrary now. Mm-hmm. So um, so what do we think is next in terms of, of B2B branding, at least in, in, in terms of a trend? Do we, we, do we expect it to continue to gain more adoption? I think, you know, technology is going to continue to broaden it for sure. If you look at what artificial intelligence and the impact it will have on direct marketing and list management and profiling customers and, and auto content generation and, um, you know, platform management. I I mean, that's, that's already here and it's going to continue to become more normal and more affordable and we'll move down right now. It's to some degree, a, a pretty expensive investment. So you see it more on the very large corporate side of activity, but everything on the technology side tends to get cheaper and faster and simpler and and scale down the food chain. Um, Same with, um, you know, take, um, you know, VR or, um, you know, augmented reality. Yeah, augmented reality, other visualization methodologies uh, that are out there to show you how your products are made or split apart or dissected or repaired or things like that. I think that, you know, that's already starting to creep quite a bit more into the into the B2B world than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, broadband gets faster and uh, more global and 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 so uh, y- you know, you can load really large image files now on, you know, corporate sites that you couldn't do 5 or 6 years ago with, you know, we see a lot more video um, affecting how we do our storytelling, you know, on the B2B side than ever before. And so that so this type of technology is going to make it easier for, you know, even smaller brands to kind of compete. So it's going to um it's going to necessitate the 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 branding process and the differentiation that we've talked about. And then another component of that 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 I was thinking of is that um as these technologies become, become more commonplace there are going to need to be strategies developed as part of the whole brand to incorporate these types of things, right? These types of technologies, these types of, um, you know, uh, interactions and experiences. Yeah, I think the user experiences are, are just, like I said, compounding based on the commodization and, and evolutions of technologies that are out there. They're all crayons in the box, and they're just more and more crayons in the box for us to choose from. As, as you know as a strategist and marketers for that process so I think that's the, the job gets in some ways harder <laughs> over time right but I think it's I mean the importance of brand just accelerates because there are so many options it's really helping figure out what's true to the brand what's relevant to the brand and what supports the brand because not everything even though it's a trend might be the right thing to do for certain companies right and at the core you know with your brand and we talk about it all the time you want to 
you want to be authentic. Br- right, exactly. It has to be true to who you are, what you do. Um, you have to be able to deliver on that right. brand promise as and opposed so, to just jumping on the latest trend. Right. So brand becomes more important than ever that everybody in the organization knows what that brand stands for and what? how they yeah. express or how they behave that's then, in alignment. So how do you do that? I mean, Elizabeth's got a great point. How do you do that in a world where, um, you know, we've got a client right now that's all about personalization, right? I mean, and that's going to be a new, the new trend on websites, right? I mean, I, I am from this area. I somehow have a cookie on my machine that says I make this much money and my LinkedIn profile, whatever, that's triangulated. And I, I am kicked a website that is different than the website that's Liz- Elizabeth's kicked or you're kicked because, you know, it's got a different product show up. We already see it in Amazon and other things, you know, what we bought before. Um, I think that that is really going to impact brands. Um, I don't know if it's positive or negative. We just talked about that. We, we had a conversation about this in the political cycle, you know, how a lot of these politicians are kind of changing their stripes based on the audience that they're marketing to in social media or the audience they're marketing to because the data can feed up a different logo or a different name or a different word or a different story based on what I've looked at before. It's going to... I. I can't tell whether that's going to downgrade branding because so many brands are going to get so they're going to be everything to everyone or it's going to be it's going to cause brand value and consistency in branding to be even more important over the long run because I okay this this guy just changes this organization just changes itself to be whatever I want it to be and this organization I know it's going to be x you know and so I think the key to this, and I think what's happening is brands are coalescing around, hey, look, I need to be authentic to Elizabeth's point. I need to be true to who I am. To Jonathan's point, I need to use the technologies the right way, but I'm not going to change my stripes. So I need to go out and find the customer that fits me. And I think the companies, the brands that, the B2B brands that decide, oh, I'm no longer just a local brand. I'm a regional brand, or I'm no longer a regional brand. I'm a national brand. That's the only way you can grow in that environment, you know, is to find more people that are your profile that fit the way you want to deliver something. Um, and so I think that that's a trend or kind of the future of this. The honest truth is, is that when you start having conversations with clients about it, they don't have that much ability to support it. Um, the the decision-making, if-then logic behind all that and just the sheer volume and magnitude of content and assets doesn't fit a lot of people's budgets in mm-hmm. some cases. So um, it can be difficult to execute, you know, uh, for a smaller, you know, brand. And, and you've got that that desire to personalize or localize or, or hyper-focus or hyper-target running against the sense of just spreading yourself too thin and, to Bo's point, eroding the brand. Yeah. So there's a balancing act that has to be has to be held, and there's a resource conversation, there's a financial court conversation that has to be held around around that when you start going down that path. Yeah. Well, and and it's it's this isn't anything that's foreign to us. I think we 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 encounter it pretty regularly, but uh, it just underscores the complexity and the the multifacetedness, mm-hmm. 
not a word, but the yeah, we made saying? up some really interesting <laughs> words today, Chris. That's right. Um, but it, it it underscores the complexity of a brand, and and the that you know a brand is a living, breathing organism that you have mm-hmm. to consider all these different factors, whether it's technology, whether it's um, you know the space you live in, the the the, the change of um, you know trends in 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 a particular industry. So. Um, one thing I want to talk about before we before we uh, adjourn here today um, is is that um, right now we're talking about B two B being a, a, a trend that's on the rise um, that hasn't quite matured yet. But this company, Brand Extract, um, is is you know 13 years old. Uh, I'm curious, what is it that you guys saw um, you know way back then uh, that uh, that inspired you or made you uh, want to you know kind of um, get into this business that you saw as a trend happening, um, that you saw this as a viable business? With the advent of the internet, I think the power has shifted from corporations to individuals on a global basis now that can take down a company through, you know, Twitter or whatever, whatever platform or reviewer sites that they want to have out there. Um, and for me, the importance of brand was elevated substantially with that shift of control. And it became even more critical to have conversations with companies from the perspective of, you know, all of these different touch points of how the brand is impacted, their operations, their recruiting, the retention, their um, pricing, you name it. There's almost nothing now that doesn't seem to have some kind of touch point within the conversation of brand. And so... For myself personally, it was we have to elevate the conversation of brand and what it means to an organization to manage their brand. Yeah, and I think what we ended up the what ended up happening was people would come to us and they'd say we need a thing, and we'd start making a thing, and then we noticed more and more in the B two B space because it's pretty much where Jonathan and I, Elizabeth, all of us grew up, um, that people were well that didn't work. You know, they used to have five or six years or their comp you know, no matter how good they looked or how well they were branded, quote unquote, in the eighties or nineties, you know, somebody was gonna buy their product if it was good. That was starting to break down. And those are the things that we saw in the in the late nineties and early two thousands that were like, Hey, wait a minute, there's something going on here. The conversations weren't just about making a new website or making a new brochure or creating a new logo for me. It became, well, my company's not working, or I'm not selling as much as I used to, or we're not getting the same margins that we used to get, um, which turned into more of a conversation, to Jonathan's point, about brand. You know, that the, you know, the website's not going to fix that problem. Yeah. You know, the right message and the right story positioned the right way to the right customer, that'll fix that problem. And, and I think as we saw that happening, you know, we created this organization to serve that, um, through technology, through consulting and strategy, through execution and brand expression. Um, it'll be interesting to see coming up what the next phase and generation of that. You know, it's definitely no longer making brochures and making things. There are things to be made, you know, but the strategy of how a brand is structured, a strategy about how that brand goes to market, we have a number of clients right now that that is a big pain point for them as they, they do so many things, it's hard for them to articulate to the market what it is because they have access to more. It's easier for them to adopt a new technology or buy a company or do whatever because there's just more out there. Think about uh, it this way. Don't make the thing if you can't really back it up, right? 
you know. So all the advertising in the world, if it's not honestly supported by the product's quality or service promise or, you know, application, solution, whatever it might be, in today's transparent world and the speed at which news spreads, it's... You'll be found out. <laughs> yeah, really fast. Yeah. Really critically. I mean, I do it. I don't... There's nothing I don't buy without researching it. Agreed. You yeah, know, these same. days. And uh, quite honestly, I might be different than Jonathan. Yeah. When I say research, I'll go find a bunch of stuff. I'll see that it's all the same, and then it becomes a price discussion. And so, I, and I'm talking about on the consumer side, I think it would be unfair to not think that that's going to happen in B2B world. And uh, how quickly that happens, how fast that happens, you know, we're already seeing it right now. You know, where where a lot of a lot of people are being pulled to try and compete on price, and we're continuing to say, look, it's not about price; it's about finding the right customer that fits the way you deliver a semi-commoditized product. Great. Well, guys, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think this was uh, really insightful. So, thanks, thanks for Chris. lending us some time, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Great. Thanks for listening to Solving for B. We hope you enjoyed this week's discussion. Please subscribe to the show and rate us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Every review helps the show reach fellow branders and marketers. We'll see you next time on Solving for B with Brand Extract.